What's up, Greenwood students? We are so excited that you're joining us for another episode of the Greenwood Student Ministries podcast. Our hope for this podcast is that you would be reminded of truth, equipped by God's word, and challenged to grow. So sit back and enjoy today's message. Bible, we are going to start tonight in James chapter 3. If you were here two weeks ago, this is where we were. Um, it's page 633, okay? But remember, page 633 doesn't actually have the number 633 on it. You have to go to 632 and then go there, okay? And that's on page 633 of the Bibles that we have for you. So if you would like a paper Bible, just raise your hand real quick, and one of the adults can bring one to you. Awesome. They are back in the other room. I see two hands up, three hands up, okay? Sorry. We're doing James chapter 3. We're going to do verses 8 through 17, okay? While you're turning there, let me catch you up to speed with the book that we're reading um, and what we're going to be reading about, okay? James chapter 1. 3. James, okay, one more time for everyone to see and to hear, okay? James chapter 3, verses 8 through 17. It's on page 633 of the church Bibles, okay? While you are turning there or looking it up in your phone or waiting for us to put it up here on this screen here in a second, I'm going to give you some background to where... We are, okay? So, we are reading a book written by a guy named, what do you think? James. James, yes. Written by a guy named James. He was literally Jesus' brother, okay? And we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but I'm going to give you the Spark Notes version. Basically, when James and Jesus were alive at the same time, right, because Jesus died and then went back to heaven, when they were living in the house together, uh, Jesus kind of went around everywhere and was like God, at the same time as James's brother. And let me just ask you, if your brother came to you and said, I'm God, would you believe him? No, no James didn't either, okay? It's a sibling thing. It's been happening for at least 2,000 years, but probably longer than that, okay? Um, no, we know it's actually longer than that because Cain and Abel were the first siblings ever, and they didn't get along either, okay? In fact, one of them died because of it. So if you think your problems with your siblings are bad, at least you're still alive, okay? <laughs> Abel is not. So... Um, What's cool about this book is once Jesus came back from the dead, James kind of had to check himself, right? He didn't take Jesus seriously as God, but then he came back from the dead, and James had to be like, uh, okay, well, you said you were God, and I didn't believe you, but you, I mean, you were dead, and I knew that, so now i got to do something, right? And he decided he was going to follow Jesus like Jesus said he was, the actual son of God, because he came back from the dead, and he could do that. So um, we look at James understanding this, that James was not wanting to be a follower of Jesus, but then he couldn't ignore it, and he became a follower of Jesus. And he wrote his book because he was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, which is the capital of Israel, right? And it was back then as well. He was the pastor there, and he wanted to write a letter to different Christians and different followers of Jesus around the ancient world and to help instruct them on how to follow Jesus. And we know that he was trying to instruct them on how to follow Jesus, Because this book has 108 verses, and in those 108 verses, there are 54 commands of very practical things to do. So that means they're not all in, like, every other verse. But if you spread the commands out across the 108 verses, that would mean that there is a specific or a practical thing that we should be doing as it pertains to following Jesus every other verse in this book. Okay, It's full of them. And the cool thing is, he didn't just write it to believers of his time. He wrote it to believers in general, which means he literally wrote this for you. Okay? Literally. This is a letter from the pastor of a church in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, straight to you tonight. So it's not just that God 
ordained what should be written in here, but like literally as James was writing it, he had you in mind. Isn't that crazy? But it's cool because when we get to James chapter three, he's gone through all of his practical examples and all of his instructions and he gets to, um, actually he's already gone through what it looks like um, to be a believer, who a believer is, what your identity is. Then he spends a chapter explaining what we do as believers and what our lives should look like as far as actions go in the second chapter. And then when he gets to chapter three, he spends a lot of time just on what we say. And we're going to see here, because verse 18 is the end of chapter three. We're not going to actually read 18. We're just going to read to 17. But the last section looks like he's talking just about what we think, but it all ties together. It's all about what followers of Jesus should say and what should be coming out of our mouths. And we're in this series called Sticks and Stones. We've been talking about how words aren't just useless, like that little rhyme would have us believe, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt hurt me, right? The idea words don't really have power. Sticks and stones have power to hurt us, but words not so much, right? The reality is they do, and we need to understand that, okay? Hello, almost knocked that microphone over. That would not have been good, okay? So we're going to read in James chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 8, and we're going to read through 17. Then we're going to pray and dissect it together. Sound good? Yes. yes. Sweet. Okay, here we go. Verse 8. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly what? Poison. Poison. Remember that. We praise our Lord and Father with it, and we curse men who are made in God's likeness with it. Praising and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives? my brothers, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. Who is wise and has understanding among you? He should show his works by good conduct with wisdom's gentleness. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't brag and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For For where envy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every kind of evil. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy, and good fruits, without favoritism and hypocrisy. Let's pray. Father, um, we're grateful to get to study your word together. I pray that it changes our hearts, it changes our lives, um, and that as we look into these words that you've written to us through your prophet James, through your son James, your brother James, and all these different relationships you have with him, God, I pray that you speak to us Um, with all the authority of the God of heaven, that we would listen and we would redirect our lives in response. Um, And guys, if you would take just a second and pray for yourself and ask God that he would speak to you tonight and that he would teach you something. If you would, please pray for me, um, that the Lord would use me and I'd be helpful to you and that you would forget any of my opinions, but his would be remembered forever. Jesus, we love you, um, and we are excited. Use this time. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Guys, do you know what it means to be a PK? A what? Preacher's kid. Yeah, a preacher's kid. Guess who's a preacher's kid? Me. Okay, Braxton is, yes, but I am too, okay? I grew up in the home of a pastor my entire life. And everybody in my school knew it, okay? I made a big deal out of it. 
That's why when middle school came around and I used a cuss word for the first time on my basketball team, everybody stared. They like freaked out looking at me. Nobody expected it to come out of my mouth because I was always the kid that was like, you can't say that. You can't do that. You're doing the wrong things. You know, people shouldn't be doing things like that because I thought it was my job to like, you know, regulate the behavior of everybody in my school because that's what Christians are supposed to do, right? That's what I thought I was supposed to do. But when it came out of my mouth, because I was surrounded by it as a sixth grader and a lot of people in my school were doing it, they were all surprised. And they looked at me and they said, what? Why are you saying, you can't say that word? And I said, I just did. So we went on from there and it became a very normal part of my life for a long time. And as I was thinking about that, and as I was thinking about this series about our words, I realized something. Most of us in the world, especially in the United States of America, most of us, our relationship with cussing starts in middle school. Some people every now and then, it happens in elementary school, but for the most part, middle school is the time when it happens for the first time in our lives. And I started asking myself, why is that the case? And I actually did some research. I polled people. I asked them why they cussed, when they started cussing, what they felt about it, what their opinions were. I did this big survey on Facebook and got a lot of answers. Sarita saw it, actually. There were lots of answers to that question. I'm sure some of the other adults maybe saw it as well. Um, And it was very surprising to see what some people thought and what their relationship was with cuss words. But it's interesting, pretty much all of them, if they mentioned when they started, they started as a sixth grader, a seventh grader, or an eighth grader, or somewhere right around that, fifth grade, ninth grade, somewhere in the middle. So here's why we're talking about it tonight, because all of you are dealing with it in one way or another. People around you are cussing, and you're just cussing internally because you don't know what to do with it. Or maybe you're, every other word out of your mouth is a cuss word. You cuss like a sailor, right? And it's just part of your everyday life. And you never really thought it was that big a deal because, you know, words will never hurt me, right? They're not that big a deal. But the reality is we're dealing with it everywhere. And for most of us, it starts in middle school. So here's what I did. I asked people, why do you cuss? And I even Googled, why do people cuss? To see if I could find some answers um, from just science and like scientific studies and things like that. And here's what happened. In almost every case... There were even Christians out there who made an argument and said, well, there's this verse, I don't have it on the screen, but there's this verse in 1 Corinthians 10, 23 that says, all things are permissible, but not all things build up, right? All things are permissible, but not all things are profitable. And what Paul was talking about there was in the old, the old times in the Jewish system, there were certain types of food that were really um, unclean. And God said, don't eat those foods, don't eat those animals because they will make you unclean. And when Jesus came... It changed everything. It changed those laws, and people could eat things now. That's why the Bible doesn't really tell us anymore in the New Testament, don't eat pork or don't eat shellfish or don't eat fruit from a tree that hasn't been planted and cultivated for a certain number of years, which is all what they had to do, plus more. It doesn't say that as much anymore. And Paul is saying here, listen, God's law doesn't say I can't eat barbecue ribs anymore. Okay, I have the freedom to do that. But if there's a group of people who are not going to listen to what I have to say because I'm eating pork, because God used to say we can't eat pork, Right? If there's a group of people over there that are like that, I'm just going to give up pork for a while so that I can still continue to talk to them about Jesus. Do you see what he's saying there? He's saying it's permissible for me to do it, but it's not profitable in that moment, so I'm not going to use it. And so there are even Christians in the world who will apply that. And they will say, I need to use cuss words for the same reasons we're going to say here in a second that everybody else says they want to use cuss words. As long as I use them in conversations with other believers, right? Who it's not going to harm my ability to talk to them about Jesus. Okay? But here's the deal. When I researched 
both from personal friends of mine and from just Google, I found that there are a few big reasons why people use cuss words in adulthood, okay? Number one, because they say that they don't know any other word to communicate what they're trying to, trying to say in that moment. I don't know a word that's strong enough to say what I want to say other than this cuss word, okay? So I got to use this so that other people can know what I'm feeling when I'm trying to communicate to that, that to them. They say that and also because um, they're trying to make a point or they're trying to use the, the, the strength and intensity of the word to, to, to make a point that's stronger than others. It's kind of the same thing, but it's like, I don't know any other words that work like I want to, and this is the most powerful word that I can use. That's kind of the same thing. It all kind of boils down to, I feel like this is the best word to use. I found Time Magazine, BBC from, from the UK, and the New York Times all said things like this as well, and they even defined what cuss words are. Okay, they gave us a definition. It's up here. It'll be two slides away. Okay, here's what it is. They say cuss words are any word or phrase that is both offensive and considered taboo. Okay, and here's what that means. It has to be a word that's going to hurt people when you say it somehow, right? It's not a cuss word unless it carries some kind of offense. And it has to be centered around something that's considered taboo. Taboo subjects are things that people don't want to talk about seriously very much. They don't want to have conversations about. Things like bodily functions, right? Like using the restroom, right? A lot of cuss words center around that. They center around sex or things like it or religion. A lot of people don't want to talk about that either. So cuss words can center around those two things. If it doesn't have a taboo subject and if it isn't offensive, it's not considered a cuss word, okay? And check this out. They also did a study to see if they worked for what people were saying they were using them for. They said, we're going to use these words because they're strong enough to convey the feelings that we want to convey. No other word is strong enough, so we're going to use them. So here's how they tested it. They had two groups of people, and they said in this one group, um, you're going to shove your hand into a, a bucket full of ice water, and you are allowed to say cuss words, okay? Say as many as you want to try and, res- to try and respond and to try and help yourself. The other group couldn't say any cuss words. They had a list, and they said, you can't say any of these words. You can say any other word you want. Or they, sometimes they gave them a specific word that wasn't a cuss word, right? Like milk or computer or something like that, right? And they had to say it over and over again. And here's what they found. Are you ready for this? They found that the people who didn't use cuss words couldn't stay in the ice very long. And the people who did could stay in longer. But even then, in the group that could use the cuss words, the people who had been exposed to cuss words a lot they didn't last as long as the people who didn't see cuss words in their normal life very much. Those people lasted even longer. So here's what that means. They found in the study that in, co- in communities and in places where cuss words are considered the most offensive and the most taboo, they're more powerful for people to get through things. But here's the thing, okay? That same group of people will tell you that I'm just using this word with another person because, you know, they're another Christian too, and I'll be able to say it and everything will be fine. And we can talk back and forth between each other and nobody's, nobody's ability to share Jesus is harmed, right? I don't know any other word to communicate to you how bad I'm feeling, so I'm going to tell you how bad it stinks, right? With this cuss word. But the thing is, these studies said those words only have power because they're offensive and because they're taboo, right? That's where the power comes from. So the reason why, as you grow up, you're going to hear people say that to you. 
And you might already see it happen. You might see your parents around you telling you, I don't know any other word to say but this word. But the reality is, even if they feel like it's not going to harm their relationship with another person, the only reason it has the power they say it has is because it's offensive and because it's taboo. They found out that the more that you use it, right, in this group over here, the people who would use them more often didn't have power in their life, right? So we cannot say that cuss words don't mean anything and cuss words don't hurt and words don't have power and cuss words have all the power that I need. They're the most powerful thing in the world. They don't exist in the same place. It's like saying it is true that the sky is blue and it is false that the sky is blue at the same time and trying to make it work. It's called the law of non-contradiction. Things can't do that. They have to agree with each other or they're not true, right? So one is true and one is false. We have to figure out what it is. Biblically, cussing is not okay, but we have to figure out why. And these verses tell us, okay? Verses 8 through 12 tell us the first point. Cussing is an issue of identity, okay? Look at verses 8, or starting in verse 8. He says, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Here, then check this out. He gives us a diagnosis like a doctor. He tells us what's wrong with what we're doing. He says in verse 9, we praise our Lord and our Father with it, and we curse men who are made in God's likeness with it. A.K.A. God is great. God is beautiful. Everything God does is wonderful, including the people that he's created. And then we turn around and we say, that person is miserable. I hate that person. They're terrible. Because at the end of the day, curse words are offensive, right? They're hurting people. They're causing pain in life. We are both blessing our Lord and then saying that our Lord is bad at having created someone. The sky is blue and the sky is not blue. Do you see the contradiction? When we use cuss words and we say we love Jesus, he says in verse 10, praising and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers, AKA other Christians, other believers, you. He says, this should not be. Things should not be this way. And then he tries to show us that we already understand that it shouldn't be this way. Verse 11, does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers, or a grapevine produce figs? No, neither can a salt water spring yield fresh water. When we use cuss words like this, it proves that we've forgotten our identity. He says followers of Jesus shouldn't be doing this. We shouldn't be using these offensive, really powerful, strong, hurtful words and praising and blessing God at the same time. Christians should not be this way. It's not okay. What happens when you don't know who you are? What happens when you forget your identity? You go all over the place, right? Dory from Finding Nemo is one of the greatest examples of this. When she forgets why she's there or what she's doing or the purpose of what she's doing and the purpose of her identity, she goes all over the place and she gets lost enough that they get to make an epic movie out of it and make a story out of it, right? All over the place. And at the end, yes, she finds her family and everything's great and it's a really good story, but it's miserable for her until that point, right? When we forget who we are, we go all over the place. We are children of God because Genesis 1.27 tells us we were made in the image of God. And God does not do this. He does not bless his creation. He does not bless people and give them love. He does not bless himself and give glory to himself and then do the exact opposite out of the other side of his mouth. When we cuss, it proves that we have forgotten who we are. Did you know when I actually looked up the definition of cuss? And I looked up why, like, like I just looked up a de- defined cuss. It literally just gave me a link to the definition of curse. And it's the same thing. It's crazy because um, Paul does not say 
in this verse, don't say the F word. Have you noticed that? He says, don't, he does not say, don't say the F word. He does not say, don't say the S word. He does not say, don't say the D word. He says, do not curse men who are made in God's likeness with your mouth. The definition of curse that I looked up talked about using our words in a way that hurts another person or defames another person. So in some ways, it could be translated back to gossip like we talked about last week. But it could also be maybe just the tone that you speak with to another person, right? How bad do you feel when someone uses words that are considered clean, but they say it in a way like this and they just point it right at you and make you feel so bad about yourself, right? That's cursing too. So here's what I want you to think about. Cussing is not just an issue of what words you say. Love should be saturated in everything that we say because we're following Jesus. We get all of our, the source of all the good parts of our lives is coming from God, from Jesus, right? So if that's the case, if we're telling the whole world that all of our life and everything that we need is found in Jesus, then that should mean that everything that comes out of us should be love and should be good and should be joy, right? It doesn't mean that we're always happy in that way. It just means that we're getting our satisfaction from God, even when things are still bad. So I want you to, if you're taking notes or even just, if you're not, I want you to stop for a second and think, how bad would you say you struggle with cursing? Not just cussing, cursing. Do you see the difference? How bad would you say you struggle with it? And I want you to think not just bad words, but also bad tone. And I want you to give yourself, I want you to give yourself a score. Zero means you're really terrible. It's happening all the time and it's really bad. Maybe you're not saying that list of bad words, but your tone and the the anger and poison, right? The tongue is full of deadly poison. That marks everything that you say. If that's where you're at, that's a zero. If you're doing really great and you're constantly building people up and saying great things about them and praising God with everything you say, you're a 10. Where do you fall between zero zero and 10? I want you to ask yourself that question. It's probably pretty easy to figure out where we stand there because it's a pretty clear cut. You're either this way or you're not. So I want you to figure out your number. But while you're doing that, we're going to move on to the next spot or the next point. Cussing is not just an issue of, of identity. It's an issue of idolatry. It's an issue of what we worship. In verses 13 through 17, James reveals something very interesting here. Because most Bibles, if you have a paper Bible, is it, is it a separate section for you? Verses 13 through 17? Does it have a new header? Mm-hmm. A new title? Okay, most Bibles do that. When James wrote it, he didn't do that. It was all connected to these verses right before it, okay? He is saying um, all of chapter 3 is about the tongue, including this. And here's what I want you to understand. While most adults might cuss for the reason we talked about earlier, most people in middle school cuss because their friends do. And when I asked people those questions about why, do you, why did you cuss or why do you cuss, how did you get started, everybody that talked about when they started Some of them were like, I don't even know when I started. I just started doing it because people around me were doing it. It was around when I was 12, 13, 14 years old. That is the common story for so many people. Okay? Remember that that's true as we look for verses 13 through 17. He says this. Who is wise and has understanding among you? He should show his works um, by good conduct with wisdom and gentleness. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart... Don't brag and deny the truth. Okay, we're going to break down this and on the way to verse 17, verse by verse, okay? Verse 13, he says, wisdom, who is wise among you is what he says, right? Wisdom, here's here's how the Bible defines wisdom. When we look at the way that the Bible uses wisdom and the way it assumes wisdom works, it basically means that wisdom is skill in living. 
Okay, if you are wise, you know what decisions to make in life, right? You make the right decisions in life if you are wise. And he says, if you are wise, if anybody among you, if any of the believers say that they are wise, they should prove it by the things that they do, right? Here's the thing. We think that getting people to like us is the best way to live in this situation, right? We think we have to be like these other people, and when that happens, things will be good. So we cuss to get there. We use it as a tool to get something else, right? But the reality is, it's revealing that we're not worshiping Jesus in that moment, because if we say that Jesus is everything that we need, but then we say, I need these people to like me, so I'm going to cuss to get it, forget what Jesus said, I'm going to use these words that are offensive and that are harmful, we use that to get there. In verse 14, he says, bitter envy and selfish ambition, okay? Selfish ambition is the motives we talked about earlier. I cuss because I don't know anything else. I cuss because I, you know, this is what I need. I, I'm, I'm, gonna tr- I'm gonna say that I know what's best. I'm gonna use this to get where I need to go. But getting our friends to like us and using cuss words to do that is both of these. We envy other people who are part of that group and we get bitter on the inside about it. I wanna be a part of it. I wanna be in that group. And I want to make sure that they like me. And so I'm going to be selfish and try to be ambitious and use these cuss words to get to that point. He's covering all of our bases. But then he says in verse 15, a list of things. He says, that kind of wisdom, that kind of living, it does not come from above. It does not come from God, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and what? What's that last word? Demonic. That's a strong word, isn't it? There's lots of different translations of the Bible. And did you know, in almost all of them, they all translated that word to be the same? Here's what that tells me. This kind of thinking, this way of living, where we're trying to do everything we can to get other people to like us, and even using words that are offensive and mean to do so, cuss words, curse words, or just a tone, it's, it's showing us that it's a lie. This verse, demonic, means it's from the realm of Satan which is the Hebrew word for the opposer, the enemy. Okay, they say the Satan, but it means, it means that this, this, this idea that we have to get other people to like us and approve of us is not from God. It's a lie. And it's leading us to really terrible places. Proverbs 18.20 and a lot of other verses in Proverbs say that a man's stomach is filled with the product of his lips, with his words. Whatever comes out of your mouth is what you're full of. So you start stuffing yourself with this desire and this need to be approved by other people, right? And entertaining that, it will come out of your mouth in the form of cuss words. And you say those things enough, they will change you from the inside out. Words don't just have the power to affect the lives of other people. You say words like this enough times, you will become desensitized to it. And it will be easy for you to be an offensive person. And you won't even have to think about it. It'll change you from the inside out. And some of you are inside being like, oh my gosh, did he talk to my mom or to my dad? No, I didn't. Okay? (laughs) I don't have to. Because I know it's happening all over the place. It will change you from the inside out. In verse 16, he says, there are all kinds of evil and stuff like this. Cussing isn't just some fun thing that you and your friends do. It's poisonous, it's unwholesome, and it is killing people around you. Ephesians 4 says that none of that should be coming out of our mouths. None of it. If we're really following Jesus, 
that shouldn't be something that we see. It's not just killing your ability to hear God in some ways because you're continually being bitter to people around you and you're not listening to his voice. You're listening to your own. It's not just killing that, but it's also killing your ability to lead other people to know and follow him. How can they believe you that Jesus is going to change their life? How can they believe you if you're no different than them? I really do feel like a big part of the reason why a lot of middle schoolers and high schoolers feel anxiety about sharing Jesus with their friends is because they know deep down they haven't really opened up to let Jesus change every part of them yet. And they're afraid that their friends are going to say, why should I follow Jesus when you're no different than me? What's that going to get me? What's that going to do for me? When we treat our words, especially cuss words and gossip like we talked about last week, like they're not that big a deal, it ruins our ability to be who we were made to be. Verse 17, he kind of ties it all together. He says, the wisdom you're looking for, the skill in living that you really want, first of all, it's pure, it's clean, it's not offensive, and it's not taboo. It's something that people want to be a part of, right? Would you rather drink clean, pure water or Weatherford City water? Clean water. Right? If you went and turned on the faucet in that bathtub in that bathroom back there right now, you could let it run for the next 30 minutes and it would still be yellow because of all the sand in it. When you believe that getting other people to approve of you is what you need in life, so you'll use your cuss words to get there, it's like opening up that faucet, sticking your head underneath, and drinking for the rest of your life. That's what you're doing. Okay? And that's why I say it. So let me ask you this. What would life look like opposite of that? What would your life look like if all you ever took in was the pure water, the good stuff, the wisdom from God? What would that look like? I'll tell you what it would look like. It would look like Jesus. Okay? In Luke chapter 22, verses 39 through 44, in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, and Matthew 27, 45, and 46, there are three moments in Jesus' life where he is right in the middle of some of the biggest reasons why people cuss. Stress and anxiety. Super high levels of emotion that he just needs really strong words to communicate. He um, is getting nailed to the cross where everybody around him is against him. And he probably needs to get them to like him so that he doesn't get killed, right? And then at the end, not only is everybody around him against him, but God himself turns his back on him. And do you know what Jesus does in all three situations? Can I read them to you? It's really cool. Luke 22, verses 39 through 44. I don't have this on the screen, but this is crazy. This is when Jesus is about to be crucified the next night after this, or next morning. This is the night before in in Luke 22 verses uh, 39 through 44. Check this out. It says, He went out and made his way as usual to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he told them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down, and began to pray. And here's what Jesus said to God. Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. But being in anguish, he prayed more fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. There's this thing that the human body experiences when it, when it has levels of stress that it's never been able to deal with before. The little blood vessels on the edge of your skin pop, and the blood mixes with your sweat and comes out. That's what Jesus experienced. Have you ever experienced a level of anxiety or stress that's been that intense? So do you think Jesus knows what it's like to feel any level of anxiety or stress that's less than that? Yeah, he does, right? But he turned his attention to God. He used his attention, he used his words to direct himself and people to God, right? And then in Luke 23, 34, the very next chapter, he's getting nailed to the cross 
They are pushing the nails through his arms. Intense pain. Everybody's against him. And here's what he says. Verse 34. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. And then in Matthew 27, verses 45 through 46, I don't even have to turn there because I have it memorized. God has turned his back on him. All of the wrath of God has been poured out on Jesus and nobody, he's all on his own. And do you know what he says? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Every opportunity where Jesus had to throw a cuss word in there and let his emotion out, to let somebody know what he was feeling. Every single time he used his words to point back to God. And not only was he reminded of the wisdom that he got from God and the the purity that's there, right? He didn't just get the benefits from that, but also the people around him saw it, right? Clearly, because they wrote it down. So, point being, what are you worshiping? Your words will give it away. Whatever you're saying, whatever you're, whatever you're, however you're saying it, will give away where your worship is. Jesus knew, Jesus knew that everything he ever needed was from God alone. And he looked there. And in moments where he wanted to just let it out and say whatever he wanted, where people were completely against him and nobody liked him because they were killing him, he still redirected his words back to God. So here's what I want to ask you. What's the next step you need to take in response to all of this? We're finishing our series tonight because next week we have D-Now kickoff. So here's what I want to leave you with. We know that words have power to change both ourselves and the people around us and affect the way that we see our relationship with God. So where do you need to start? Do you need to start listening to his words more and taking them seriously here? Do you need to Maybe make amends with someone that you've been gossiping about behind their backs. Do you need to start filling your mind with the things of God by reading his word over and over again so that the next time you get into an intense, excuse me, intense, intense situation and you've got to let it out, the words of God come out instead of a cuss word that's offensive and hurts someone? What's your next step? Maybe your next step is just believing the fact that when he said that he loved you enough to die for you, that he meant it. And that you need to get saved and just respond to salvation by saying, yeah, God, I want in on this. I want to follow you for the rest of my life. The question is up to you. Jesus said that there's none of us that can fix our lives on our own. There's none of us that can do that. But if we admit that we can't do that, we believe that he has died for us and has risen again and that that solves our problem. Then we confess that he's in charge of our life. A, B, C, admit, believe, and confess then the wisdom that we're looking for, the skill and living that we're looking for will come in the moment, but even better and most important, our lives forever are changed for eternity to be with him in the goodness and love of God forever and not separate from him, which is a place called hell. And it's only bad because he's not there. So that's your choice. I'm gonna pray and we're gonna dismiss. I got one announcement for you and we'll be done. Sound good? All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, that it is powerful, that it changes our lives. I'm going to pray that if there's anyone in this room that hasn't responded to that, that didn't know you died for them, or maybe they did, but they just hadn't done anything about it. I pray that you would lead them to speak to one of these adults in this room. Uh, And I just pray that you would um, just give us the boldness and the audacity to trust you, that you are enough for us, um, even if everybody around us is against us. It's not wrong for us to want people to like us. It's wrong for us to make that the most important part of our lives. So I pray that you remind us of that um, and that we use our words um, for good and for life and to redirect people to you 
um, through both the way that we talk to them and the things that we talk to them about. We love you, um, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.